there's so many different ideas for productivity, how to increase our organizational effectiveness, right? So whether it's a personal thing where we're just trying to get personal life in order or a work thing, like if you don't personally download stuff and, and you're worried about that, your work probably has some sort of app or some sort of scheduling system that they use, whether it's Outlook or Slack or something like that, that tries to keep everybody together, everybody on the same page, uh, to keep all you know, rockets firing in one direction to just increase your production and, uh, and all of those kinds of things. And throughout the history of invention, humans have come up with creative ways to get more done in less of amount of time. I mean, that, that's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to maximize our effectiveness and what we do with the limited time that we have throughout, throughout the day. And so you think of all the, you know, the invention of the wheel has led to eventually the invention of the, the car and how much we're able to get done more because we can travel further distances and shorter, shorter amount of time and all these great things that happen. And so the old adage then proves true that time is money. And so we, we're kind of in a culture, in a society that's in, kind of ingrained in us. The more that I can get accomplished, in the less amount of time, like the better things are going to be for me. The better things are going to be for my job, for my career, for my family, uh, for my hobbies and activities. Like that's going to be a great way to live my life. There is a growing gap, however, and one of the things that's just a reality and that's true and we, we're never going to get away from it is that at some point there's a diminishing rate of return for that. That the more we pack into our schedules, the more that we do, like at some point there's a diminishing rate of return for the effectiveness that actually takes place in our life. After all, there are, are only 24 hours in the day. And so just packing them full with a bunch of stuff doesn't necessarily get us to places that we think they do. We live in an age in which opportunity is nearly instantaneous. Uh, some of us remember life before the cell phone. And I, I don't know about you, but I think of that wistfully uh, at this at this point in my life, like you remember how exciting it was that man on this handheld device, I can now get my email, and this is amazing, and this is cool. Like now, I think it's horrible. I I just you know getting email, I turn off the notifications. Like I, I'm I'm just done. There's too many emails, all that all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you feel uh, that way, but that's where I've come to. Hyper connectivity has gotten us to this place, I feel like, where we have this fear of missing out on the next great opportunity, and so we're constantly checking, we're constantly looking to see what's going on, uh, and people on Facebook really don't live those amazing lives that we keep expecting to hear about, uh, but we keep being connected in those, on those ways. We want to know what's going on, which leaves us less committed to some of the foundationally important relationships and activities that we should be taking part in each day because they waste our time and energy. And it's kept us constantly tied to our work and increasing pressure to always be available to protect the bottom line. And some of you, depending on your experience, like you don't necessarily feel like this is exactly the case. Some of you are like tracking with me right now. We're like, yeah, I'm expected at my job to answer emails through all hours of the night. And I, and I know what that's like. Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of statistics from the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Labor uh, Statistics. So since the 1950s, we've increased our work productivity as a society by about 400%. Okay, Some, somewhere in, in, the, in that neighborhood. Now, I want, you to, I want you to think through the implications of that. And, and, and just kind of think about your work week, how many hours you put in during the week for your job. Do you think like the hours that you put in per week reflect that 400% increase in productivity? Because 
I, I think, I, and I'm not a mathematician, obviously, but I think like we could have a much shorter work week, right? Because we're more effective than we ever were. And if, if not, if we're going to still work the same amount of time, then, man, the increase in what we receive, like, from a standard of living standpoint, must have shot through the roof for us, right? Everybody expect experiencing? No? Is that, is that not really the case, our standard of living? Okay, so somebody, somebody's benefiting from this. <laughs> who, who is it? Uh, most of us are not. What, what's going on here? We're getting more done. We, we are acquiring more stuff. We live in the richest nation in the world. Um, but we also uh, see some rises in stress, anxiety, depression, uh, problems in family and being connected uh, with relationships that, uh, that are beneficial for us. This past week, uh, my wife is, uh, is teaching school this year, and one of her students was talking about wanting to follow in his father's career footsteps. Um, but he said something really strange as he was talking about that, and I won't say, I won't say what it is. I'm, I'm trying not to give too many details or anything. Not that you guys would know or be connected uh, to it. But uh, they said, but, you know, when I get older, I'm just going to have to get a cat for my apartment. And my wife was like, well, why, why is that? I said, well, I'm definitely not going to have enough time for a family. And so, anyway, there's just one small example of how that kind of affects our psyche, how it kind of affects our culture and our society and the ways that how we approach our jobs and our work and our timing and our schedules uh, impact the people around us. And so, you know, I, I kind of have to ask myself sometimes, and maybe you do too, how, like how, how things gotten so out of whack with our schedules and how we handle our work life. And I think largely it's because, and this covers a, a broad category of things, because I think most of the time we just get caught up in life living us rather than us choosing to live our lives like making intentional conscious decisions about how we approach things. We just ca get caught up in how things are. And I think work is one of the things that's at the top of the list. Uh, Christian leader Kerry Newhoff writes this. He says, workaholism is the most rewarded addiction in America today. You may get fired for drinking too much, but working too much usually gets you promoted. And so you may have felt at some point in your career or right now, whatever you're doing, whether or not you own your own business or you're an employee, like at any stage in your life, if you're a student, whatever's going on for you, you may feel this pressure to keep up, to accomplish and achieve very specific certain goals to be able to stay ahead or at least stay level with everybody else in your life. And it's, and it's actually hurting you. And while it's clear from Scripture that we're created for and we, we're gifted with talents and abilities for meaningful work that we're called to do with God that has eternal, um, eternal uh, fruit uh, that it bears, God also created us with the need for the gift of rest. And some of us think, like, man, having to sleep or having to take a break, man, it's a waste of time because I could get so much more done if I didn't have to do those things, but God didn't create us in that way. Like, we have to sleep. We have to take a break to eat. We have to take a vacation every once in a while. And while we might be addicted to the pride of busyness or wealth or power in order to accomplish and gain more, or maybe we're, we've just abdicated responsibility for our life to everything else, um, God punctuates his work with rest. And so let's go uh, back to Genesis chapter 2. That's going to be one of our texts for this morning, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and 3. And, and here's what we find. Thus the heavens and earth, this is after creation, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I would argue that you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, a more productive work week 
in the history of existence when it comes to the creation narrative, all right? You're not going to, like, out-accomplish God when it comes to this example of, and what can you get done in six days? I mean, it's just, it's just not going to be any kind of comparison. And despite the complete lack of the need for rest, because I don't believe for a second God was, like, physically or mentally or emotionally like, oh, man, that was a tough week. Man, I'm glad I got that project done. I wasn't sure I was going to get it done, you know. But Friday at 5, I was able to clock out. Like, I don't think that's where he was at the end of creation. But God not only rests, but he blesses this day of rest and made it holy. And so, uh, to me, it's clear and throughout Scripture as we read and study about what godly rest looks like that God's plan for meaningful work always included the need for meaningful rest. Again, this, was, this happened even before the fall. So it's not like sin came into the world and all of a sudden we're tired. No, the, the, I mean, this is a part of God's uh, um, plan for meaningful work is meaningful rest. Now, meaningful rest, I think, is the key component here because how we rest has a lot to do with whether or not we experience rest. For example, there's a reason that sometimes we need a vacation after our vacation. Anybody? Like, I'm, yeah, we're, we're there. Or that our self-care even doesn't accomplish some of the things we wish or hope that it would accomplish. Because when it's for a distraction, you know, to take our mind off of things, or it's just to buy an experience, or it's based on a product that we think that will make us happier, or it's based on our discontent, those th- important things, vacation and self-care, like those are important things, they can become counterproductive. And, and I think maybe this is why sometimes we leave that, that time unused. How many of you take all of your vacation? I'm just curious. Like, I'm going to do my own poll this morning. How many of you take all of your vacation in a year? Like, you use all of your days. All right. So I'm just going to say, and I know not everybody raises their hand or any of that kind of stuff. I'm going to say right now, like, tongue-in-cheek, but not really. You need to repent of that. If you're not taking all of your vacation, give me your vacation days or something. I'm, I'm just kidding. Like, all right, let me, get, let me give you some numbers, all right? I think I have numbers. Yes, I do. So U.S. vacation days, and this is from 2017, all right? This is a study that came out in 2018. This, so from 2017, there were some, that's million, by the way, 705 million unused, uh, accumulated unused vacation days up from, like it's climbing. That number is climbing, so that continues to climb. Unused vacation days. Uh, 52, over 50, yeah, over half of people, 52% of people, don't use all of their vacation days. And in 2017, uh, 212 million vacation days were forfeited. Now, I don't, I don't know if you realize this, but that means you're working for your company or your business for free when you do that. All right. So 212 million days were forfeited, which is equivalent to $62.2 billion in lost benefits. And that's, that's kind of where we are with, with this in, in our society, how we think of it. We are very, like, we stick out like a sore thumb as a nation when it comes to this. If you look at some of the other uh, work and labor and statistics that are uh, in place, how other countries take vacation and stuff, and we've got this idea that, you know, we've got to work hard so we're not lazy and that kind of thing. We'll talk about laziness a, a different day because um, that's important too. But, but here's the thing, when God was setting up, initially when God was setting up the, the nation of Israel and this Israelite community and what it was going to be based on, um, when he brings them together, he gives them very specific guidelines, very specific rules, even ten commandments for them and how, to, uh, how they're meant to operate with each other and in their relationship with him and his community. And rest ends up being one of the ten commandments. In fact, it's the fourth um, and this is part of how God expects us to approach life. 
In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8, and, uh, 8 through 10, um, actually just part of verse 10, uh, the fourth commandment is, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And so God establishes this day of rest on the seventh day as a non-negotiable. In fact, you could, if you broke the Sabbath, you could be punished uh, by death if you had done this. This is how serious this was taken. It's like, no, you're, you can work six days, that's great, but you're going to take a break on the seventh day. So God's very serious about this. Uh, God's plan for the framework of his, uh, of his people included this Sabbath rest. And it was for them to be reminded of and to experience him and his blessings. And so when we think of things like uh, we're too busy for worship or we're too busy for prayer or we're too busy for rest or we're too busy for a family or we're too busy for intimacy with our spouse or we're too busy for our neighbors, we're too busy for contentment or we're too busy for spending time with our kids or too busy, or too, life is too crazy to experience joy and peace and all of those things. You get the idea. We're missing out on the Sabbath rest that, that God meant for us to experience in life. And that's why he sets this up. It gives us this celebratory perspective that a life with God is meant to bring. And so God tells the Israelites initially with his Ten Commandments to keep this day holy, keep it set apart, keep it sacred, don't let anything else come between you and this, because this is a day that's dedicated to the Lord and dedicated to our relationship with him. Um, it's one of the longest, it's actually the longest uh, Ten Commandments. And so God continues on to explain this. He says, on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it applied to everyone. Like, no, this is, this is a time for everything to take a breath, to rest, to be still, and know that God is God. Did God need rest? No. But he knows that we do. And this is the rhythm that he knew that was best for us and what we need the most. Now, for some of us, we're thinking, like, oh, the Ten Commandments, like, in that in the older section of the Bible that's in the Old Testament, we're in the New Testament, like, Jesus has come, and so we don't necessarily have a Sabbath built into, like, this is not a regular thing that we talk about on Friday at sundown through Saturday at sundown. We're not going to do anything, and so you can't travel anywhere. You can't pick anything heavy up. Like, as Christians, that's not something that's kind of ingrained into how we worship or celebrate or, or follow God in that way, because Jesus came along. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace, and so he's kind of changed that, um, but the principle still remains within God's creation, and in, even how Jesus treats the Sabbath and how he lives that out. Throughout the New Testament, we have this message of working hard, but also taking those times to rest. And by Jesus' day, really the Sabbath day had become completely corrupted. While most of us kind of believe that maybe the principle of the Sabbath makes sense and have rest, it's kind of turned into this thing where, where we're like, yeah, but it, it's, it's probably not as necessary as we think it might be. And maybe there's some other things that we can kind of do along the way. Um, but we need to be reminded just like the Israelites need to re be reminded of why it's so important to rest this way. Because here, here's what happens uh, later on for, for the Israelite nation. Moses repeats this fourth commandment, but he adds something very specific to it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. He says, he says the fourth commandment, he says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 
And therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Because leading up to this, uh, before these Ten Commandments were established, the Israelite nation had been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And so God reminds them what he's already done to bring them out of their former life. They've lived the life of slavery. They had to work seven days straight. They had to make bricks constantly. They had hard manual labor. They had to provide their own food. There's grueling. There's no days off. There's no rest. They were slaves in a culture that said there was never enough. You might see where I'm going with that. So it wasn't just a day to watch Netflix and get a massage. It was also a day of remembrance and worship of what God had done and was doing and would do when it came to how he cared for and saved the Israelite nation. And you might think, really, after 400 years of slavery, like, would you really need a reminder of that? Like, all the generations of that, if you had that in your cultural memory, like, wouldn't you be so grateful to God that you know that every day you would be living out uh, as a life of worship and response? And you might think that. But on two separate occasions, the Israelite nations were clamoring to be able to go back to slavery in Egypt. Here's the first one. Two months after they leave Egypt, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve uh, this entire assembly, assembly to death. And so they were afraid because they thought, oh, man, there's no way. Like, we don't know what to do. How are we going to be taken care of just by following God and trusting in him? Later on, right before they were supposed to go into the promised land that God had led them to, in verse 3 of Numbers chapter 14, they say, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? And so God had been taking care of them all of this time. So it's not about food anymore, but it's about something different. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And from that point on, it caused 40 years of wandering in the desert before they got to experience this promised land that God had brought them right up to. If they were just willing to follow him and his plan for what was going to happen in their life. And when we neglect the Sabbath and the reminder of what God has done for us and what his blessings mean for our lives and how it changes things, this same narrative can overlay our own life story in pretty uncomfortable ways. Like, nobody wants to spend 40 years of their career wandering because the whole time they've been basing it on things that are not connected with God's idea and plan and calling for us for work. And that includes all the messages that we've, we've talked about through this series, not just this one. Uh, certainly for the society we built and the influencers so many people follow and the divisiveness we're encouraged to espouse in relationship with one another, the type of work, life, play, balance, and rhythm that we're called into by our culture, like we see some of that narrative overlaying our own lives. Most of us have enough food, shelter, and provision. And yet most of us continue to feel the pressure to want more. We never have enough. We always want more, and we know we don't have enough time. And so we're surrounded, and some of us are enslaved by the richest culture in the world that never has enough. This is why Sabbath is such an important rhythm of our lives with God. Through Sabbath rest, we're reminded that it's God. It's not our work. It's not, not our effort. God is the one who supplies all of our needs. 
because work isn't the only thing that supplies everything for us. Sabbath was God's plan for people to experience him and his blessings. And so neglecting Sabbath rest and worship causes us to slip into the never-ending cycle of the more we have, the more we want. And Sabbath is about saying enough. Enough. More is not what brings satisfaction. Value is not in what I can produce. I'm free, and I'm not just a commodity. John Comer writes in Garden City, he says, Sabbath is a way to say yes to God or to Yahweh, to silence Pharaoh's voice and break free from Egypt's pull and to tune our life to Yahweh, the rest God. It's a way to remember and never forget that what we're craving and even coveting isn't found in the world of space, but in the world of time, in God himself. This isn't to devalue the world of space. No, this world is good. It's just to put it in its proper place. The world and all the stuff in it are gifts to enjoy, not gods to worship. And so for us as Christians, the principle of the Sabbath rest that God instituted, this time to take a break, take a breath from the world, to rest and to worship, to be reminded of what he's done for us, is something that we still take part in. The early Christians shifted their day from Saturday to Sunday because it was the first day of the week. That's when they gathered together to break bread, to worship, to pray, uh, to follow Jesus, because that's when Jesus resurrected from the dead. It was on Sunday. And so that became part of the celebratory Sabbath rest rhythm combination. And so God says, if you love me, if you're dedicated to me, if you want to be reminded of my blessings, you need to take space and you need to take time in your life to be reminded of what I've done. Set time aside in your week to remember, to remember me and to worship me for what I've done. And sometimes it seems hard to focus, like just, like I, I get it, uh, focus on an hour of singing and a sermon and sharing communion together and some announcements and those kinds of things. But, man, this original intent was for us to spend time for at least a whole day, a week, being reminded of what God has done for us. And we're forgetful people. We forget the blessings, I mean, at least I do. Uh, we forget the blessings of God, and we totally lose sight of who he is. And God understands this about us, and so that's why he wants us to rest and worship with him. And as followers of Jesus, this isn't about following a law. Um, it, it's, it's about recognizing the inherent grace and mercy that God has for us in this design for rest and worship, because Sabbath gives us the time and space that we need for spiritual renewal. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that spiritual renewal. And so I want to give you some ideas for, for what Sabbath rest could look like for your life. And whether, whether or not this is a day that you can do every, every week or something that you can feel like you can incorporate in your life, I want to challenge you to at least take one day out of a month and see if you can incorporate this idea of Sabbath rest into your life and see the difference um, that will make in, in, in you, Okay. Um, and so let me give you some ideas of how to do that and what that looks like and how this follows this, this principle of rest and worship with God and this intentional spiritual rest. The first thing is this. Disconnect. Disconnect with the world. Um, for you, that might be not watching Netflix. Um, it might be uh, not watching TV. It might be like not going to your favorite spot. But I know for a fact that for most of us in this room, it means not being addicted to your phone for at least a day. Disconnect from the world. There was a time, and I know some of you don't believe me, but there was a day and age where the cell phone 
not even the smartphone existed. And, and I'm here as a living witness to tell you that I survived that dark age. And, and for 24 hours, like, I, I, think, I think we might be able to do this. And here, here's what I mean by that. I'm not saying ghost people all day or that kind of thing. But what I'm saying, like, you, can, you cannot be dictated. Like, your day doesn't have to be dictated by the notifications on your phone is what, what I'm saying. And so I'm not saying, like, you got to turn it off and throw it away. I'm not, again, this is not law. This is about grace and mercy. But it's about giving yourself space to, to, for your day not to be dictated by everyone and everything else. But, but for you to give yourself time for the Holy Spirit, uh, for, your, for your mind, give yourself a break. And I know so many of us need that. I know, I, I know some, of, some of that's tough, too, as well, to have silence because we've got so many things that are going on. But, but what I want to encourage you to do is have that intentional time, whatever that looks like. Maybe you have your phone off for an hour or something like that. What, whatever, you, whatever you can do, and maybe it's about working yourself up to that. But it gives yourself time for God to get a word in edgewise, for, for your spirit to quiet down so the Holy Spirit can, can speak and so we can hear that moving in our life. And so I want to encourage you to think about incorporating that into, um, into, into your life. Uh, avoid the things, like maybe it's a magazine or a commercial on TV, you know, those things. Avoid the things that steal joy and that threaten to take our attention back into the rat race or following everybody else, what they, what, what they want to do that continues to pull you back into the world. The second thing is this, um, is engage with loved ones. And so, so just like Sabbath, if you think about how God incorporates this into the life of the Israelite community, they're disconnecting with their work, uh, the marketplace, all of those things. They would cook their food ahead of time so they wouldn't have to do that. And so that, that's how they were disconnecting with the world in, in, in that scenario. The second thing that enabled them to do is actually spend time with their loved ones. And so because if, you can't, if you're not supposed to travel, if you're not supposed to work, like even giving the animals a break, what are you doing? You're hanging out at home. You're spending time with each other. And oftentimes you would have, it, it wouldn't just be your, your immediate nuclear family. Like you'd have some extended family in the, in the same area with you and stuff. So it gives you time and space to reconnect with the people who love you, with the people who care about you, to, to build those relationships in, in meaningful and powerful ways. Because, man, who, who of us in this room have not had the experience of being ships passing in the night? And we know, like, that's not a healthy thing. And we know it's like, oh, man, we need to do, have this time that we get together with this family member, with these friends in our life. But no, those, those need to be priorities for us. Like, they, they really are more important than most things. And so engaging with the people who love us is such a, um, who draw you closer in healthy relationship with each other and God. Um, man, these, these are important moments for us to hold on to, and it's something God wants to ex experience with each other. Um, and, then, and then the third thing is this, is the Sabbath was all about worshiping God. Like, that's, that's, that comes with it. And so, you know, save, save your uh, Netflix binging. Like, uh, you know, don't, don't use that for your Sabbath time that you insert, whether it's half a day or full day or whatever it is. Like, save that for when you're sick. Like, I get it. I know what it, I, I enjoy Netflix binging, too. Like, when, when I don't feel good, I can't do anything else. I get how that can be, mindless and all that kind of stuff. But this is a little different uh, because we're making it less about our own experiences and more about the experience God is trying to draw us into. And so worshiping personally is, is, is about making it all about him, taking intentional time to give God glory through the reading of his word, opening up your Bible, 
uh, through prayer, through uh, singing, maybe. Like if you don't do it here, you know, maybe it's in your car, in your closet, or in your shower, or something like that, or listening to music that's specifically praising God in word and deed. Visit the spaces that draw you near to him. All of us have those, those places in your life where, like, man, I feel a little bit closer to God that gets us out of everything else that's going on. Maybe it's in nature. Maybe it's, I don't know. For me, that's what it is. So I can't think of any other ideas. Anybody, you know, so, but maybe it's for you uh, that you can think of something like that where being outside and being reminded of him and his blessing in your life um, and his promises to provide and bless for us is all a part of that Sabbath rest. Um, one of the passages of scripture, and this is a paraphrase of, of something that Jesus said that was very transformative at a time that I was desperate in desperate need of spiritual renewal and spiritual rest. Um, one of my favorite passages, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I'm going to read the paraphrase version of this. And here's what Jesus says. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Ultimately, Sabbath rest helps us to keep company with our Lord and our Savior, and our King. And it reminds us of the freedom he's enabled us to experience and expect in this life and the life to come. Let's pray. God, um, it's not just work that vies for our attention. Um, it's life. So many things in our past and our present and our future that will compete for and seek to distract us, uh, because the evil one certainly doesn't want us to focus in on you. It wants us to be overwhelmed by things this side of heaven. And God, we thank you for uh, creating us with the need for rest, because it gives us an opportunity to stop, to pause, to take a breath, and glorify you. And recognize your promises to be reminded of them and to seek them out. And God, I, I, know, um, I know that there are crazy seasons in life. I know there are busy seasons in life. I know there are times where things are, things are going on and, and sometimes they seem like they're out of our control. And, and I would just ask in those moments that for those of us in this room that are in that place right now in our life, um, that you would, you would create space for us to be able to rest in this way with you that you would give us a reprieve, that you, would, that you would show us where we can take a break. And God, for those of us who, who have time, but we're just not using it intentionally in this way, I ask that you uh, convict us with your Holy Spirit to make this a priority, to, to seek out this opportunity to, um, to be in your presence and to listen to your voice rather than to the voice of the world and everything else that's vying for, for our attention. God, we, uh, we praise you for the meaningfulness of work, and God, we, we're so grateful to, for the grace and mercy of rest. And we ask that uh, you help us to see 
to the rest that you are calling us into through Jesus at work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.